Good morning. I want to greet each one in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ this morning. This morning I'm titling my message, The Spiritual Children of Abraham, and then asking a question with that. Are we the Jews? So this is obviously, or I'm going to say this is a follow-up message to my last message that I had. As long as that message was, there were a lot of things that I wanted to dive in deeper. And there were thoughts I had after that message that I think things that I thought I should go into greater detail. Because if you took from that message that, well, if God's not done with his people, the Jews, then wouldn't one of the great way to have more blessing would be to become a Jew? And interestingly, after that message, I heard the fact that the, um, the man who is now the president of Argentina, Javier Millet, actually um, made a statement back in July or August of this year that he, um, he was good friends with a rabbi in Argentina and was actually considering converting to Judaism. So... Why is that not necessary? I hope all of us already know the answer to that, but that's what I want to go and look at this morning. Why don't we become Jews, or why don't we need to become Jews? Turn with me to John chapter 4. I'm going to begin there. I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture this morning. Um, and because I have so many notes, and a lot of you probably have to get to Christmas dinners, I'm going to be trying to move quickly John chapter 4 beginning at verse 19 and the woman saith unto him sir I perceive that thou art a prophet our fathers worshiped in this mountain and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship Jesus saith unto her woman believe me the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the father ye worship ye know not what we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship at the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And in truth, the woman saith unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Here's the story of the woman at the well, that most Jews, almost every Jew in Israel, looked down on, despised, didn't believe, had the truth, and I don't think they did. I don't think they worshipped the way they were supposed to, the way the Bible, the law, that they lived under the law of Moses at that time. But yet she knew there was someone coming that was going to um, save the Jews? And did the Samaritans also have a hope of that salvation? But what did Jesus say to her? You know, yes, at this time, before Jesus came, the Samaritans would worship in one place. The Jews would worship in Jerusalem. And today you have people who, the Mormons, they go to Utah to worship. You have Muslims who go to Mecca. But Jesus was saying, someday you won't have to go to any specific place. And I don't believe it's still in the future. I believe that that came once Jesus died on the cross. And what did Jesus say? He said that we could worship in spirit and truth wherever, wherever we are at. And it's because of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We didn't have to go to Jerusalem or a specific place. And that's true. We do not have to become a Jew. We do not have to go to Jerusalem to truly find God. And that is because Jesus came. This message really isn't a Christmas message this morning, but yet it's because of the Christmas story that this message is true. That we, as Gentiles, do not have to become a Jew, do not have to convert to Judaism to be a part of God's family, to be saved. So 
So I believe strongly, I've said it before, but we do not represent the Jews today. So what do we do? This message this morning, I really want to look deep into, we're going to read a lot of verses pertaining to blessings, blessings in the Old Testament. What do we do with all of God's blessings and promises in the Old Testament then that he gave to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Do those pass on to us today? The first we hear of Abraham, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. First we hear of Abraham is in chapter 11, but I'm going to start for chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. So one of the things I want us to think about this morning, and I believe is true, if you have questions afterwards, please come to me like to talk about them deeper too but I believe that when we look through the Old Testament we have two kinds of promises one is we see both of them right here one is specific to a group and that is to the Jewish people to the descendants physical descendants of Abraham the second is to everyone else. Is it? No, it's to those who believe, those who are faithful. And we see it here, that there are two kinds of promises here. One is to Abraham, to make him a great nation. But the second one then is also found in verse 2, or I'm sorry, uh, verse 3. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee. What is this saying? Is this a promise to Abraham? Not really. It's a promise. It's a blessing and a warning to everyone else. That in how we would treat Abraham and his descendants would have an effect on our own lives. And that is true today. We see those who hate the Jews today. And I believe that what you see in their lives is a lot of frustration, a lot of suffering. And I believe it's directly tied to this very promise and blessing and warning that God gave right here in Genesis chapter 12. That if we bless the Jews, bless the descendants of Abraham, we will be blessed. If we curse, if we work against them, then the opposite will happen. What about those who say, well, we're the Jews. God's done with the Jewish people. God's done with the descendants of Abraham. Does that sound like blessing or cursing to you? To me, it sounds like cursing. To say, well, God is done with you. Just think if you walked up to a Muslim today and said, you know, I know Allah said he would bless you if you obeyed him 1,200 years ago, but you know what? Allah doesn't believe that anymore. Would that Muslim look at you and say, well, you're blessing me by telling me that? He would probably say, you're cursing me. You're, you're telling me something that hurts is hurtful. So when we say that God's done with the Jews today, we are cursing. We're hurting them and so I think we need to take be careful take warning from that now I'm going to keep reading verse 5 and Abraham took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan into the land of Canaan they came and Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Sychem unto the plain of Morah and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, 
Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hain on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. God makes another promise to Abraham here. First promise he made back in verse 2 was that he would make Abraham a great nation. Nations today, we think of different nations, they're typically tied to a land. And so, as the Lord continued to speak with Abraham, he then tells him what that land is. It's the land of Canaan, the Canaanites. And that he was going to give them this land. One of the things some will say is that Yes, God gave the land of Israel that we think of as Israel today. He gave it to the Jews, but they disobeyed him, and so they lost that blessing. But I push back on that and say, well, where in these verses do you see a condition that would end this promise to the Jews? I don't see one. Yes, it would, there would be a time, there would actually be a long period of time here once Joseph and his brothers went to Egypt where no Jews would be living in the land of Canaan. But once Joshua and the Jews crossed the Jordan back into the land, I don't believe there's ever been a time where there were not Jews, at least some living in the land. And so God has kept that promise. Let's go on then to Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 18. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed Forever, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land, in the length of it, and in the breadth of, of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abraham removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and they built there an altar unto the Lord. Once again, God reiterates his promise. To Abraham. And here he makes it clear once again that not only is Abraham going to be given this land, but his seed, his descendants, would receive this land. And verse 15, the, the last word in verse 15 I want to look at. God says, I will give it to thy seed forever. What does forever mean? Anyone want to say? Forever. Forever. (laughs) Is there another word? Is there other words that you could describe forever? Always. Always. I looked up a whole bunch of translations, about 10, 12 translations where you can go online and do a compare. NIV, ESV, a lot of different English Bible translations. Most of them used the word forever. A few used another word or synonym that that means basically the same thing. So I don't see that that promise is going to end. Now, is this earth going to last forever? When we think of the word forever, we kind of think of something eternal, right? It goes on and on perpetually, never ends. Is this earth eternal? No. So I think what God was saying, for as long as the earth stands, this land is God's. 2 Peter 3, verses 9 to 10. 
The Lord is not slack, slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. There's coming a day when the earth will be burned up. And so when I looked at this word forever, um, in the Strong's Concordance, you do get the idea that it means as long as, and I believe that means as long as the earth stands. When God says forever, it means that as long as this earth stands. So I don't believe it ends. God would go on, as I read in my last message, Genesis 15. He promised the land that again. He made it. He reiterated that promise. Genesis 17, he said it again. Turn with me now to Genesis chapter 26. Verses 1 to 6. And there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, under Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and I will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries. And I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, and to thy seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed." Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place... I'm sorry, I'm going to stop there. What, is, what are we seeing here? Once again, God told Isaac, that promise I made to your father Abraham, I'm passing it on to you. Once again, it didn't seem like God's promise of making him a great nation was going to come to pass. Because it was all going to come through Isaac, one person, and yet God had promised this land and that he was going to make him a great nation. But one of these, it's the statements here that we see in this verse that I think I can understand why some people, those who believe in replacement theology, can maybe say, well, look, it says that God gave him the land because of Abraham's obedience. Was Abraham perfect? I think you can all think of times when Abraham sinned, went outside of God's will for his life. And so God didn't give, I don't believe God gave the land of Israel to Abraham because he was perfect. I believe he gave it to him because he was obedient. Was it because he was obedient his whole life? No, he was human just like you and I. We fail, we sin, we have to repent, make things right. And so, I believe the obedience it's talking about here is the fact that Abraham left his homeland and went to Canaan. That obedience was what led. So, Abraham was obedient, therefore God promised him the land. There was not sin. Maybe, I mean, you could say if Abraham had totally walked away from God, that God may have rescinded that promise. But that's not what it's saying here. It says Abraham was obedient, and I believe because of that, God gave the land to Abraham and his descendants. To think of it another way, I think it's similar to the fact that did God save us because we were perfect? Or did God make us, did God cover our sins so that he could save us? Hebrews 10:17 says, "And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more." So when we come to Christ and we confess our sins, his blood covers it. And that's forever. Those sins will no longer be remembered. It says it also warns in Hebrews 10 that if we willfully fall into go back into sin, that we will have to pay for that. We'll have to answer for that. 
that we can't just live in sin and just and God will just keep forgiving and keep forgiving. There needs to be repentance and we cannot be just sitting there willfully sinning. The same way, what I want to say with that, if we later fall back into sin, if someone who was saved was walking with Christ falls back into sin, does God then go back and remember the, the sins that were under the blood? I don't believe he does. I believe those sins are covered, they're gone, they're wiped away. If we end up in hell, it's because of falling back into sin. To me, that's a picture of the idea of Abraham's obedience and God giving him the land because of his obedience. It wasn't that Abraham was perfect. It was that obedient, Abraham was obedient, God gave him the land. Let's go on to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Beginning at verse 1. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountains of Nabal to the top of Pisgah that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan, and all of Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea. And the south and the plain, the valley of Jericho, the city of the palm trees unto Zoar. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Once again, God is telling Moses, and through Moses, the children of Israel, that even though they've been in the land of Egypt for 400 years, God is still remembering his promise. And even though Moses wasn't allowed to go over because of his sin, God was still going to be faithful and take the children of Israel in. Now we might ask the question, so the Jews entered the land, and yet since that day when Joshua took the Jews across the Jordan into the land of Israel, many times... Jews have been exiled out, carried away. They were exiled to Syria. They were exiled to Babylon. After the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, they were exiled all over the world to Europe, ended up in America, South America. Today you find them in many, many countries. So does this mean that God didn't keep his promise? And I believe it's that it's easy for us to think that the land and the Jews are the same. And there's some sense in which they are. But I believe that God's promise was on the land being for the Jews. But the Jews could sin and be exiled. As I would like to say, was there there sins that could disconnect the Jews from their land? Not that the land could be disconnected from the Jews. I hope that makes sense. So turn with me to Leviticus chapter 18. Here are some sins that are mentioned that God said, I judged other nations because of their sin, and I will do the same to you. Leviticus 18, I'm going to kind of skip through some verses. Verses 1 to 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say to them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein you dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments, and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which... If a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach to any that is near akin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of thy father or the nakedness of thy mother shalt thou not uncover. She is thy mother, and thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. I'm going to pause there. The next number of verses to verse 20 is speaking of a lot of forms of immorality that was common in that day. 
in the nations around Israel. Like I said, it was common in Egypt, it was common in Canaan. Now we're going to go on. Uh, verse 21, And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, neither shalt thou profane the name of the Lord thy God. I am the Lord. What's this talking about? Child sacrifice was very common at that time. And God said, I have judged nations for that. I will judge you also. Going on, verse 22, Thou shalt not lie with any mankind as with womankind. That is abomination. He's talking about homosexuality. Thou shalt, neither shalt thou lie with beasts to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Do not, sorry, defile not yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you, and the land is defiled. Therefore do I visit the iniquity thereof upon it. And the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. And ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these are abominations which are men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. That the land spew not you out also when you defile it as it spewed out the nations which were before you. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. I believe that when it came to the land of Israel, there was a difference between the land, like I had said earlier, and the people. The land was God's. But the people could be spewed out for their sins. And one of the worst sins, God made it clear in a number of places in the Old Testament, was child sacrifice is one that he hated the most. Did the Jews commit child sacrifice? Second Kings chapter 16, I'm just going to let you write that down. You can go look at it. But there, the people of Israel were committing child sacrifice this was repeated more than once by more than one king, by more than one generation of Jews. Another thing they also did was they were supposed to do that was a specific command to the Jews and not to the nations around them, and that was their honoring Shabbat or their Sabbaths. So we often think of Sabbaths being weekly, every week, a day of rest. For the people. But they also had, God had, Sabbaths for the land. And it seemed like it went together. When the people stopped honoring the Sabbaths for themselves, they stopped honoring the Sabbaths for the land. And I was reading yesterday, I Googled, I said, what, what is a reason why the children of Israel could be pushed, put out of the land or something to that effect? I forget how I worded it exactly. And there was a Jewish website that said that there was, and it didn't give a passage, and I was not able to find it, but I believe it's true. There's different places where God warned about this in honoring the Sabbaths. But God was very clear that if they did honor the, land, the Sabbaths of the land, every seven years the land was supposed to be given a year of rest. Every 50 years the Jubilee, you've heard of the Jubilee, their land was supposed to go back to the original owners slaves were supposed to be freed when they stopped honoring those sabbaths along with this weekly sabbath is when god would separate the jews would kick the land would spew them out god would send them into exile so yes the jews could commit sins grave enough to be kicked out of the land but i believe the land was always god's and is god's to this day I believe it's why for the last 3,000 years, even though there's been numerous exiles, numerous times where the number of Jews in the land has diminished, God has never allowed a group or a nation to rise up in Israel and to make it their nation, to give it a name, to give it a language, to give it politi uh, a political system, a history. So many, many groups have taken over have put it under their control, but it's simply been an occupation. They've never made it their land. And even the Arabs today, who are claiming that Israel is theirs, that it belongs to the, to the Muslims, 
cannot, I don't believe, find a coin that says that they, it was their land. They had a nation, a government, a history. There's no unique language other than the Hebrew language to that area since the day when Joshua and the Jews crossed into the land. Turn with me now to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4, verse 1. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I commanded you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Belpor, for all the men that followed Belpor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye did cleave unto the Lord your God, are alive every one of you this day. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded you, that ye should do so in the land where ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them? As the Lord your God is in all things that we call upon him for. And what nation is there so great, that hath statutes and judgments, so righteous as all this law, which I have set before you this day? Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. So once again, we see a warning that God was giving that they need to be careful. They shouldn't just take it for granted that now that they were in the land, they were going to be able to stay there. So God repeatedly punished them. Again, in Amos 3, you can write it down, look it up later. Amos 3, 1 to 15, God once again warns the nation not to turn his back on God. So now kind of shifting a little bit, what do we do with the promises that seem to apply to believers that no matter if they are Jewish or not? There are promises made in the Bible given to Abraham that it says, if you go to the faith chapter, it says because he believed. But what if we believe? Do those same promises apply to us? And I believe some of them do. So turn with me to Psalms chapter 37. Psalms chapter 37, verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as a green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. So right there we see in verse 3 a promise tied to the land. What did I say earlier? There were promises connected to the land. There were promises connected to faith and belief in God. Yet we're going to go on here in this chapter, and some verses, I believe, do apply to all believers of all time. But there's verses that clearly do not apply to us because we were never promised a land. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently on him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth." That promise right there, I believe, is to all believers. It's, what is that inheriting the earth? It doesn't mean that we're actually promised a nation or a land. But that God will be with us at wherever we are. That if we wait on him, we put our faith and trust and obedience in him, there's blessings even here on earth for doing that. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider this place, 
and it shall not be, but the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight thyself in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword, and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay such as be upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bowels shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, shall they consume away. I'd like to read all the way to 40, but for time I'm not going to, but it continues on throughout the chapter. Beautiful promises that I believe many are to believers. So there are promises and blessings in the Old Testament that don't just apply to the Jewish people, but to all who are righteous. And so when there's promises made for the physical land, I believe those are to the physical Jews. When the promises are spiritual, I believe those are to all who, like Abraham, are faithful and obedient to God, irregardless of your DNA. Let's turn now to looking in in, uh, the New Testament in relation to that. Romans chapter 4. Paul here is speaking to this very thing. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, His faith is counted for righteousness, even as David also describeth the blessedness of man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that the faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, the sign of righteousness of the faith, which he hath yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believeth, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of the circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps that faith of our father Abraham which he being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to the seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they were of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, where, the, where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith, that if it might be by grace to the end of promise, might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but that which is also of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Once again, I'll stop for time. But we see here talking about that even though under the law, the Jews were required to be circumcised to show their obedience to God. Yet Paul here is explaining that Abraham was considered righteous even before he was circumcised. He was considered righteous after he was circumcised. Trying to explain to the people here in the New Testament, especially to the Jews who were struggling this whole idea, well, don't we still have to be circumcised? I mean, God told us to do it under the law. But what Paul's describing is that we don't receive mercy and salvation by coming under the law of Moses, but through faith in God. And that's important to remember If Abraham was able to find mercy before the law existed, 
then we can also find that same mercy after the law. Maybe you ask now, why did God give the law of Moses to the Jews when they came out of Egypt? Why did he require such strict obedience to so many laws? And what's amazing is when you realize there are Jews today who still put themselves under that law, who are still trying to find God's mercy through the law. But the key is to remember that it was not to save us. It was not to save those Jews that came out of Egypt. Jesus talks about it being a schoolmaster to bring people, to point people to God. And I think that's important to remember that the law didn't save, but it was simply there to, to bring more people out. Something that I thought about when I was, I don't think I've ever said this before across the pulpit, but think about how many faithful people there were before the law existed. When you look through the Old Testament before the law, before Mount Sinai, there were very few people who were faithful to God. After the law came, did it make every Jew that came out of Egypt faithful to God? No, there were many who failed, who were punished, and I don't believe are in heaven today. But many more did. I believe the law was there to give opportunity to many more. But I think it was also there to show even more clearly than before that we as humans needed a Savior, needed Jesus to come to save us. Because even with a clear law that covered every detail of their lives, they still messed up. They still failed a lot. And so it did not save, but simply was pointing ahead to what, when there would be salvation. <coughs> so when we think about these different <clears throat> blessings in the Old Testament, um, You may, you may know modern praise songs, modern gospel songs that will talk about God healing our land, God reviving our land. And I'll be honest, these songs make me twitch, make me uncomfortable, because I believe clearly that the U.S. is not God's special land, even though there are people who try to claim that. I don't believe God is going to completely bring revival to any one country in the world until he brings that to Israel. God is not going to choose another nation. God hasn't chosen the U.S. to be his nation. God hasn't chosen. There are people in the U.K. who believe that God has, the U.K. is the new Israel. God has not done that. There's only one time that God chose a land, and that was the land of Israel. He chose a man, Abraham, for that. So how do we make sense of that? As I close this message this morning, how do we make sense of all this? I heard a, mess, uh, a talk recently where a man said that I should be able to read every verse in the Bible and apply it to myself today. Are you, is that where you're at today? Do you believe that every verse that you read, you open up your Bible in the Old Testament, in Revelations, in Matthew, and you should be able to apply it to yourself today? I don't believe that's true, and I, I believe it's because of the idea of the dispensations. You may say, well, the dispensations, what, where's that word found? Well, it's like the Trinity. It's not found in the Bible, but I believe we have... It, it helps us to understand how God worked with his people from the time of Adam and until the time when the, the earth is burnt up. But yet God works with his people in different ways at different times. Did God deal with the people before the law of Moses the same with the way he did with the law of Moses? No, he had different expectations. Does God work with his people the same today as he did when Joshua walked on the earth? No, 
So how do we understand this without believing in dispensations? Either we're serving a different God in each of these time periods, which I think is why some people struggle with understanding the Old Testament, New Testament. Second, or we are lost if we're not part of one of the correct groups, the correct time periods. Or God changes his mind. Now those may sound crazy to you. Well, they are. I don't believe that any of those things are true. But yet, God has a different relationship with you and I today than he did with Adam when he walked on the earth, when he was in the garden. God worked differently with the Jews when they were under the law than he does with you and I today. So how do we make sense of that? I believe we'll see believers from Adam, Job, Joseph, Rahab, Jeremiah, Samson, David, Mary, of mother, Mary the mother of Jesus, and the Apostle Paul. I believe we'll see all those in heaven someday. And yet, Joseph, or I'm sorry, Adam, Job, and Paul heard the voice, actually heard the voice of God. Joseph was a ruler of a pagan nation. Rahab lied. Samson and David killed the Philistines, killed Philistines, and yet Mary was simply called to be the mother, a mother of a of a child called Jesus. We're all called differently depending when God has placed us here on earth. So thinking of those dispensations, I group them in six. I don't believe that they're all that that's the only way to view it. There are people who believe there are less. There are people who believe there are more. But think about it, how in each of these time periods, God had a different relationship with his people, with those who followed him and believed in him. In the garden before sin entered the world, it says that God actually came into the garden and talked and walked with Adam and Eve. From the fall to Mount Sinai, There were very few believers, but what did they do? They didn't have a lot of laws, rules, guidelines. But they would sacrifice animals, from what we understand, to cover their sins. Then the time period of the law. God had very, very strict rules about every area of life. Number four, we have the church age. Number five... Once the church is removed, you have the great tribulation. And number six, you have the millennial kingdom. Each of those time periods, God works with his believers on a different level and has different expectations. So we're not called to worry about or try to understand all the whys to all that, but to understand the time period we're in and to understand what God wants of us. So how do the Jews and today God's people fit into the dispensation model? Well, I believe that today they can become part of the church according to the internet which okay not saying it's rock solid but there are around a quarter of a million messianic Jews today who not only are physical Jews but believe in Jesus as their savior. But what about all the other Jews? Is God done with them? Well, I believe that he's going to bring them back into their land. I believe scripture is clear. Why? To prepare for the next dispensation, the great tribulation. In closing, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars hills and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotion, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you, that God made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, 
Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations, that they should seek the Lord, and if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. And the times of this ignorant God winked at, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that in him he hath raised him from the dead. I feel like this passage applies well when we think of the different dispensations. It didn't matter if you grew, in the, grew born in the time of the first thousand years of the earth's existence. We were all called to seek God, but most importantly, we were called to repent. It didn't matter that you were part of that time or if you were born when the, when the law was in effect. You were still called to seek God, to follow after and to repent. Today, we're called to repent. When it's the great tribulation, there'll be people who come to Christ during that time. They'll be still called to repent and to seek after Christ. So it doesn't matter when, when you're born. Maybe it's hard to understand all these things. But know that we are called to repent. Jesus came 2,000 years ago as a baby to this earth. Not to rule at that time. Not to have an earthly kingdom but to bring salvation to each one of us. I hope that each one of us knows that today and has turned our life over to him. The Lord bless you.